Amen. Let's take our seats together. And we're going to turn to God's Word tonight. Uh, first of all, John chapter 3. Then over in the John chapter 8. First of all, John chapter 3. And then over in the John chapter 8. Let's just pray together as we turn. Amen. Father, we just give you thanks tonight, Lord, for your wonderful grace and your wonderful love. And we pray as we come to your precious word tonight, as already has been prayed, Lord, that you would unstop the deaf and ears. You would speak, Lord, tonight in the lives, that you would bring conviction of sin. Lord, that you would give deciding grace. And Lord, we pray for faith to rise in hearts tonight. True repentance, Lord, in this meeting. Lord, we pray that you would save that you would set free, that you would deliver. And Lord, that souls would be saved, washed, names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We pray for your name, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 16 and 17. Very well-known scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John chapter 8, we're going to read from verse 1 to the verse 11. John chapter 8. Verses 1 through to verse 11. And Jesus went onto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, these were religious men, men of the law, men of great knowledge, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger. He wrote in the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And I love this. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman, woman standing in the midst. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. I want to speak for a few moments tonight on being alone with Jesus. Being alone with Jesus. Just you 
and Jesus. No one else. Just an intimate, personal encounter with the Lord. It says, when Jesus lifted himself up and he saw no one but the woman, just her and the Lord, he said to the woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This account recorded in Scripture, this actual meeting between Jesus and this woman. She was brought before the Lord by these religious men to put her on public trial. We catch the story as the Lord is sitting at the temple and he's teaching the people. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes had gathered in amongst the crowd and they brought this woman whom they had caught in the very act of this sin, adultery. And in this account, their purpose in bringing her to the Lord was to tempt him, but also to humiliate this woman, to condemn her, and ultimately they would execute her in this story. But this is a wonderful story. It's greater than the individual, but it's everything to do with the individual. It's a very profound moment in the ministry of Christ because it was not only about her, but it's about every person in this room. In the letter of the law, these accusers were actually totally accurate. The T was crossed and the I had a dot upon it. It was a watertight case. There was no wriggle room. There was no out-of-court deals. There was by no means that the guilty party could escape the fatal judgment. This woman, they said, was taken in adultery. We have caught her in the very act. In other words, we have got her. We have her, Lord. Now, what do you say about this woman? The law says, and they quoted accurately the law, Leviticus chapter 20. If you want to turn to it, you can read it tonight. Leviticus chapter 20, this is a watertight case. Leviticus 20 and verse 10. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, this is what the law says. Leviticus 20 and 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. There's the law. Absolutely clear. It's black and white. So when they brought this woman, they had in mind the law, bringing her to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, Caught in the very act, the law had been broken. 
They were accurate. The T's were crossed. The I's were dotted. And they brought her to the Lord. They knew it. She knew it. That she was guilty. Guilty as charged. This, if you look at it just plainly on what I've said, this is an open and closed case. You did it. You were caught. The law is crystal. The judgment is final. There is a simple Supreme Court ruling. You maybe heard that in the last few weeks. Final. No appeals. She's to be stoned to death. The Old Testament is being brought to the feet of this man, the God-man, the God of the old and the God of the new in the flesh to the feet of Christ for a judgment to be made. Do you know what's happening here beyond the individual, this Christ and this woman? There's something very profound that's taking place in this account. If you ever look at the Bible and you know the Bible, there's an Old Testament and maybe people are saying, I'm not too sure where to start when you read the Bible. don't know where to start at the beginning. I don't understand all the names and I look into the new and I'm not too... There's two parts of this book. One is the Old Testament, very simple. Most of us know them. And one is the new. The Old Covenant and one is the New Covenant. What bridges those two covenants is a man called Jesus. Jesus Christ. What stands in the middle of those covenants is a place called Calvary. What this is like, and I'm going to ask the young men with plenty of brains to help me, and the young women, of course. What this is like is like the two greatest oceans in this world. Does anyone tell me what the largest ocean in the world is? The Pacific is right. Or over here we call it the specific. Isn't that right? <laughs> the largest ocean well done, Joshua, in the world is the Pacific Ocean. The second largest ocean in the world is the well done, Caleb. <laughs> That's what he always does to me. The second largest, I don't know what it means, but I just done it back. Was that cool, Ned? No. The second largest ocean in the world is the Atlantic. Now listen, these two great oceans, one represents the old world, one represents the new. And there's a meeting point of these two great oceans right down in South America. It's at a place called Cape Horn. It is one of the most, there is literally thousands of sailors have perished as they've tried to travel across the Atlantic right down to South America, right under Chile, through Cape Horn, into the Pacific Ocean. And this place, Cape Horn, is the meeting point of two oceans. One is the Atlantic, a great ocean. You'll see it if you go up the north coast. And the waves are crashing in. And the other is the Pacific. But the Pacific Ocean is the largest ocean in the world. We're told that it covers approximately 155 million square kilometers. The Pacific Ocean's basin or the, 
land below the sea level is so large it could hold all of the world's continents. One ocean is great, but one ocean's greater. And this place, Cape Horn, as they traveled from the old world, they would pass Cape Horn into the new world. Right up until 1914. Many people remember 1914. What happened then? They built the Panama Canal. It saved the journey. And so you could cut across. Know what I'm talking about tonight? I'm talking about an old covenant. And I'm talking about a new covenant. One was great. But there's something much greater. The new covenant in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Calvary is the center point of the universe of eternity. And these two great oceans, one is greater than the other. The old was great. The law was glorious. But there was something that was more glorious. And that is the death and the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring us into a new covenant. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 9, it says these words, For if the ministration of condemnation be glory. In other words, the law, it, it was glorious. And it was the law that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai. It was a glorious ministration. But it says in verse 11 of that same chapter, For that, if that which was done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. In other words, the law had a power and a strength and it was glory. But there was one that was greater. And there was one that was more glorious. That when this woman who is guilty as charged, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we are brought before the person of Christ, we're guilty as charged. We're all sinners. We're all lost. We're all condemned by the law. But thank God there's a man that we can go to tonight whose name is Jesus Christ. And he took our punishment. He paid our death. He cleansed our sin through his blood and rose victorious. And if we come to him tonight, this is the wonderful grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the law is effective. Listen, the law is effective. really is. In Galatians 3, it concludes there that all are under sin. It tells us in verse 23 that we're kept under the law. It tells us in verse 24 that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It tells us in verse 25 that we were under the schoolmaster. In other words, the law enlightens us that we are sinners and it has a power. The Bible says in James 2 and 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, what is he? He's guilty of the whole thing. Let me, let me ask you a question. Who's kept the law? Who's kept God's law? Is there anyone in this room would be so self-righteous to stand and say, I've kept the law of God. You'll have no other gods before me. You shall not make any yourself any idol or bow down and worship it. 
You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God or blaspheme the Lord. And I tell you, his name is just a curse word today. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shall honor your mother and father. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not give false evidence against your neighbor lie. You cannot be envious of your neighbor's, your neighbor's goods. Let me ask a question tonight. Is there anyone in this room that hasn't broken at least one? And yet, let's be honest, we've probably broken every one of them. Well, I've never murdered a man, but Jesus says, well, listen, if you have anger in your heart towards another person, you have committed murder in your heart. Well, I've never physically taken another man's wife, but Jesus said, if you look on a woman or if a woman looks on a man with lust in her eye, he says, you've committed the act of adultery. And so the bar goes higher in the new covenant. And then we go, Lord, we're all condemned. We're guilty as charged. We're sinners without hope. And that's why Jesus came. Because not one of us could make it. You know, I always remember the young man and woman that I went to visit a few years ago. And I've told the story before, but it, it impacted me. Because when I knocked at their door and they were planning that they wanted to get married and they had a wee baby out of marriage and I knocked on the door and they opened the door and they said, come in. First thing they said is, we were expecting a proper minister. <laughs> Did it well I'm thick skinned? <laughs> he says, we were expecting, you know, and I said, listen, he says, you know, we have done everything the wrong way about. And I says, well, that's true. God wants you to be married, wants you to have kids in marriage. That's God's way. He says, but we've done everything the wrong way about. He said, listen, we want to put this right. But he says, we want to try and get it organized and try and, and I said, listen, you don't, don't try to get organized. Don't try to make yourself look right. The reason why Christ came into the world is for people that have done things the wrong way about. That's called sin. And that's the reality. And this is why we have a gospel. It's not for the righteous. It's for the sinner. Is there any sinners that have been saved here tonight? Isn't it good to be saved? Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. Yet they brought this woman to the Lord. Paul, more than any man, before he was saved, was known as Saul of Tarsus. But I want to tell you something. He lived an impeccable life as far as concerning the law because he tells us in Philippians 3 that as touching the righteousness which is in the law, he said, I was blameless. In other words, I got everything right. I had the look right, I had the talk right, I had the appearance right, I had the beard cut the right way, I had everything on the outward, everything was in line, every T was crossed, every I was dot. Brothers and sisters, he was far from Christ and without hope. You see, Christ came into the world to save sinners. The Bible tells us that we are all as an unclean thing. 
and all our righteousness are as, what are they? They're filthy rags. You know the worst thing that anyone can do when they know that God's speaking to them and He's stirring their hearts and they know that they're being convicted, they get right with God. Do you know the worst thing you can do? Try to clean yourself up. Are you hearing me? Don't try to clean yourself up. I'm not saying to just live anyway, but people have this thing. I really want to become a Christian. I, I really, I believe something's happening in my life. So you know what I'll do? I'll start to clean myself up and I'll start acting like a Christian. Listen, it won't last more than a month or two months. It won't last because you can't keep this. It's impossible for us to live this life without the power of God in our hearts. The one thing that you need to do if God's speaking to your heart and you believe you have to get right with God, here's the one thing that you need to do. Just fall down on your knees and say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Listen, he'll keep you. Won't he keep you? Is there anybody here the Lord's kept? Praise the Lord. Doesn't he keep us? Not only does he save us, but he keeps us. And then he does the work of cleaning us up. He needs to clean us up. It starts in that clean heart and it works out into that life. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. You know, the Bible says in Romans 3, now we know that what things soever the law saith, Romans 3 and 19, it saith to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. I read Ten Commandments, and there isn't a person in this room has been able to keep those Ten Commandments. The strength of the law and the strength of sin is the law, and that's how we know that we're sinners. The hardest people to convince are sinners are people that are self-righteous. People that are good living people. You ever heard the term good living? They're just good living people. Listen, I'm not a good living person. I'm a born again Christian. I'm kept by the power of God. God's done a work in my life. It is Christ that has saved me. It is Christ that keeps me. And it is Christ can save you. And it is Christ that will keep you. Oh, he's a good living fella. Listen, let me tell you, none of us are good. Not one. None of us can keep this. All our own religious efforts, they're religious rags. They're filthy rags. Is this woman guilty? Let me ask you a question. According to the law, would you say the woman's guilty? Every one of us would say she's guilty. Does she deserve the punishment of sin? Yes. Does she deserve to hear that record being read out of her sin and hearing the voices of all the accusers around her saying, you did it. It was you. You're guilty. Were the accusers right? Yes, they were. But here's the thing. Jesus, isn't the wisdom of the Lord amazing? Jesus simply said these words, now see which one of you are without sin. You cast the first stone at this woman. Then know what it says? 
they began to be convicted. Because know what they realized? And that's the Spirit of God working in the heart. I'm a sinner, condemned, unclean. And one by one, those men began to walk away till eventually, what an encounter. This woman is left alone with Jesus. And Jesus stands up and looks at her and says, well, where's your accusers? Where are they? They're all gone. And then the Lord said, neither I condemn thee. What do we read in John chapter 3, verse 17? For the Lord has not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be, what does it say? Would you say the word saved? Jesus came in. Here's the two oceans, one greater than the other. Meeting at the feet of Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. He's your answer. He's your hope. He's your deliverer. Jesus stands personally before a heart in this room tonight. He says, I've come into this world not to condemn you. Oh, but Lord, see my life. Whether you're a man or a woman, young person, see my life. If you, Lord, my sins, the life that I've lived, the things that I've done, the laws that I've broken, both of the land and, and of course, your law. I've lived an awful life. I've lived a life full of sin. I've broken every law. And the Lord said, I've come into the world not to condemn you, but I've come into the world to save you. This great ocean of the love of God and the grace and the mercy of a wonderful Savior. And he stands and he opens his arms and he says, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. What a message. What a hope. The Bible tells us clearly that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says this, John 1 verse 17, just a few minutes and I'll be finished. But John 1 and 17 is what the Bible says. Here's these two great testaments, these two great oceans, if you like. For the law was given by Moses. Listen to these words. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Think about it. These men brought this woman to the only person in this world who could meet her need and forgive her sins. And his name was Jesus. Can I tell you, every individual in this room, the only person in this world that can meet the need of your life, forgive your sins, is the same man that met this woman all those years ago. His name is Jesus Christ. These men believed that Jesus would condemn this woman to trick the Lord. But they didn't realize the ministry and the mission of Almighty God, that God so loved the world that He would give us His Son, Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Gospel. We're talking about the power of the Gospel that's found in the Bible. The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Grace, full of grace. 
He is the truth and the life. Jesus said in John 8, 31, you continue in my word, then you're my disciples, and you'll know the truth. And the truth, what will the truth do for you, friend? The truth's going to make you free. It sets you free. You want to be set free from your sin. You want to be set free from the chains that hold you, the bondage in life. You want to know the peace of God in your heart. You want to know the hope that Christ brings. You want to know the joy of sins forgiven. You want to have your name written in the last book of life. You want your destiny to be changed tonight from going to a lost eternity called hell. And tonight by the grace and the power of God, your whole life can be turned around and he'll set your feet on the king's highway and you're going home to glory because of the great price that Jesus paid on the cross. There's victory in Jesus. The Bible says that we walk in the light as he is in the light. We fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from, and I love this very small, simple word, all sin. All sin. Every sin, every stain, everything that you've committed to offend the holy God, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, with true repentance and confession tonight. Brothers and sisters, isn't it wonderful to be free? You can leave this house free. The price that Christ paid was his own life on the cross. It cost greatly. But tonight, you can walk out of this place free by the power of God. We say we have no sin. Someone sitting here tonight saying, well, you know, I haven't been that bad a person. Like I'm not, most people know what they do. They sort of give it the, like I'm not as bad as Davy Woods. He was really bad, but I'm not as bad as Davy. I'm not that bad a person. I don't really need to get saved. Like I don't, I don't break in the houses. I don't mug old women. I haven't been in prison. I'm not really that bad. I'm a pretty good person. Let me tell you something. You've deceived yourself. That's what the Bible says. If you say you're without sin, you've deceived yourself. You're actually living in deception. And the truth isn't in us. But if we acknowledge tonight that we're sinners, we're lost, and we need a Savior, His name's Jesus. The Bible says that we confess our sins, not to a minister or to a priest, but if we confess our sins to Jesus Christ, He's faithful, and He's just to forgive us, and He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say, someone sits here and says, well, I'm not a sinner. I actually don't like those terms. You know, the modern world don't like it. If we say we've not sinned, I tell you what we do. We make him to be a liar. And his word is not in us. Jesus came into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world. To save sinners. Thank God that he saves sinners. Thank God he saves sinners. If you're here tonight and the Lord's speaking to your heart, speaking to your life, I believe he is. Man or woman or young person. Just like this woman. You're alone with Jesus.
just you and him. God's speaking to you personally. It's individual. It's a personal salvation. God's speaking to you personally. God's drawing you personally. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus wants to save you. If you're in this room tonight, it's just you and the Lord. Will you respond to him tonight? Will you respond to him? Lord, save me. I want to tell you something. He'll save you in an instant. Is that you, friend? Let's pray together. We'll just wait for a few moments. Spirit of God, speaking to someone's heart tonight. In this room tonight, it's just between you and the Lord. It's nobody else. Forget who's beside you. Forget who's behind you. Forget who's in front of you. Just forget about everything. Forget about today. Forget about last week, a few months ago. Forget about tomorrow. Just this moment is just between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's here by his Spirit. The Bible tells us where the twos or threes are gathered in his name, that Jesus Christ is right in the midst. He's right here. He's in this room. Jesus is here by his Spirit. Jesus is speaking to someone's heart tonight in this place. It's just you and him. You know you're a sinner because we've all sinned. You know you need a Savior. His name's Jesus. His name's Jesus. Shut out every other voice. The accusers are there. They're pointing their finger at this woman. What they're saying is true. Jesus knows it. Let me ask you this very simply tonight. Just you and the Lord. Just between you and Him. You're alone with Jesus. He's come to save you. Will you respond to Him tonight? Say, Lord, I want to give you my life. Would you save me? Someone in this room, very quickly, if that's you, you know the Lord's speaking to you. I want you to do just something very quickly for me. I just want you to look at me, put your hand up, put it down again, and I'm going to pray with you after this meeting tonight. But it's just you and the Lord. Is there one in this meeting? If you just put your hand up, put it down, I'll see it. And then afterwards, I'll pray with you. Is there someone tonight, just in these few moments, wants to get saved, wants to come to the Lord? Wants to give their life to him. Give their heart to him. Wants to ask for forgiveness. He's here, not to condemn, but to save. Is there one? Is there someone tonight? Just one person. Takes courage. Takes courage just to say, yes, Lord, that's me. Is there one in this meeting? Amen. Let's stand together tonight.